This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. It is Tuesday, um, the first Tuesday post-derby, and uh, I had some technical issues downloading last night's podcast, and that will be done and put up later tonight. So this is kind of the first show post-derby, even though it's actually the second show post-derby. And today we decided that... um, a lot of people have called in and asked questions, and, and uh, I, I figured why not just um, take calls and, and let people have their voice and, and, and say uh, what they want to say, and maybe ask them some questions. And and the reason I started this podcast was to try to promote the business, to try to get people um, involved, to try to explain some things that aren't that well explained. And for people to be involved, and I really want people to ask questions and uh, make statements and, and, and tell me how you feel. Because the truth of the matter is that there's not a lot of outlets outside of social media. And a lot of times on social media, no one's listening. So uh, we're here to, to hear what you have to say and, and to get uh, opposing views of things. And I'm sure there's people that that don't agree with all my takes and that they probably shouldn't. But um, today's show is, is going to be a call-in show, and, and uh, we're going to just uh, see where it takes us. And uh, I think we have a caller. Uh, Casey, we have a caller on line four. Okay, hello? Hello? Yes. Chuck? Yes. Chuck, this is Tom Amello calling. Tom, how are you? Um, I'm wonderful. I... Uh... Delighted uh, to have this opportunity, and and Chuck, I want to I want to commend you on uh, on on your mission and what you just said. Uh, you know my experience up here in uh, uh, upstate New York with Capital OTB. Uh, I find this a bit ironic. I ran a call-in show for twenty years up here, and now I'm calling in to you, and you're the host. I think you actually. <laughs> Uh, called in or at least uh, commented when when we were running the show and you were working up here. I, I believe that I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember the, the famous track fact salute. There you go. Oh, See, thank you so much. You're making me feel good. You're making an old man feel good. <laughs> hey, I, 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 you, you and I Mr. Really Kling, it's hard to forget the track fact salute. Not, you know, being that we're on, uh, on radio and on internet here, we, we can't have any salutes other than the, you know... Uh, verbal salutes, <laughs> which sometimes yeah. aren't aren't well, the ones you want to hear, but uh, but you'll, um, you'll, you'll find your tagline, man. You'll find. I, it. I still haven't really found it, but uh, we're, we're we're working on it. We're working on it, and uh, well, I, again, I, I want to say that you know my mission uh, has always been fan education and involvement. This whole notion of player development and bringing new people to the game, and you know, being in the game, that there's. I mean, there's so much about the jargon, about the uh, 
the the life in the, the individual cities that racetracks are and the game that newbies don't know because we've lost we've lost that uh, that your father or your uncle is going to take you to the track and mentor you and teach you those things. We've lost that connection to the track. Yeah, no doubt. And, and these days we've lost all our connection to the track when when very few tracks are actually accepting patrons. And no, absolutely. It, it's, so, it's such so a social that, game, you know. Like We, we, we interacted uh, on Facebook this morning. And uh, I'm calling to try and to kind of expand that conversation that we were having there. Just give me a moment. I'll, I'll give you the context for it. Sure. Uh, yesterday, I, I was looking at the uh, Thoroughgraph uh, forum, and one of the uh, posters said that he had seen on the uh, Churchill Downs feed and on the crawl an announcement that Tis the Law would be racing with glue-on shoes. Now, when I saw that, I didn't know that. Uh, I like to think that I pay reasonably good attention to the game, and I'd, I'd never heard or seen that he had been uh, racing or working with glue-ons. And so I, I, I tried to get it confirmed, and I got some confirmation from some people I know on Twitter and then I posted it in, in the uh, group uh, Thurman Racing in New York, which brought about the conversation as to, you know, why'd you do that or why'd you say that? Well, the first thing is I am not suggesting at all that the shoes he was wearing had anything to do with the outcome of the race. He's a fine horse. He made a fine, gallant effort. And I don't think he disappointed anybody except the people who had hoped he would, he would win. My question and my issue has always been transparency and information for we who bet. And so that's why, that's why I'm asking this question or having this conversation. Now, what I've found since, Chuck, is that on March 20th, Ray Pollock posted uh, in his Pollock report that Barkley Tag said, "'Tis the law." Worked with with glue-on shoes to protect the bruised heel. Now, I missed that, so that's that's on me. But nowhere since have I seen on any of his races that he was wearing glue-on shoes. Now, you and I had the conversation, and you know, you're a trainer, and I'm not, uh, and so I really don't know what the rules are for disclosure of all the things that trainers have to make the racing office aware of. To me, uh, if you're not wearing normal shoes, then you're either running without shoes or you're running with glue-ons or bondo or something. And to me, that sounds like an equipment change. So now I'll give you a minute to, to talk on your own show. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I understand your concern. And... Racing has a real transparency problem, and a lot of it isn't because of uh, anything nefarious or or, or wrong. A lot of it is just um, it's racing was not prepared to come into the information age, and the tracks uh, are are very slow 
to adopt things. And it took forever. Uh, I mean, remember in, uh, I mean, I don't remember in the seventies, but this is, this is what I've read mostly from Andy Byer was that Lasix was being used in the seventies in Maryland on some horses. And they found out about this and they went to the racing commission and made a big stink and said, Hey, this is something that we should know. The betters should have the information which horses are getting treated and which horses aren't getting treated. And they were successful in, in getting that um, that done, which now seems like, uh, I mean, it's a given that, of course, you're, you're going to find out you know, who's on Lasix and who's not on Lasix. But um, New York, and we had, we had spoken, uh, well, I guess we, you call it spoken uh, on, on Facebook, but... Um, we talked about the the shoe changes, and Naira does a does a, a really good job with the shoe issues that most other tracks ignore. Naira uh, makes you declare aluminum pads; it makes you declare bar shoes, bar shoes on, bar shoes off, and that's important. And it's it's good information, and virtually no other track does. And it's something that I've always wondered about. Why I don't listen, guys on Twitter complain all day about everything, and they're not wrong about a lot of things. But I've really never seen anybody take that um, take that on. And maybe because they don't even realize that horses are wearing bar shoes on, bar shoes off at these tracks, and they're not finding this information out. Uh, so I, I am a believer that that yes, that is significant information. Uh, I liked when the Stronach Group decided that they were going to uh, weigh the horses before the race. I, I think that when I was in Hong Kong way back in 2004, um, that was something that we were we were uh, we did um, a few times that week before the, the the race. I ran a horse in the Hong Kong Sprint, and weight is one of the um, is something that that's it's monitored over there and and it's published in the program and you could certainly make the case that that the horse's weight uh can be a significant uh, piece of information a horse that's uh coming off of a layoff that's losing weight uh might be racing at the shape a horse who's in form who starts to lose weight might be a horse that's getting ready to go out of form so uh, a horse that's, that's in a hard camp, in the middle of a hard campaign that gains weight, that could be a good sign too. That that's usually the sign of a horse that's thriving, and and that's something that like betters here kind of didn't really get much hold. It, it, it didn't seem to grab anyone's attention, and which surprised me. And, and I understand that only Laurel and Golden Gate and uh, I think Santa Anita and uh, Gulfstream were doing it. But um, it was kind of a good idea, and, and it hasn't been followed through with. And to your question specifically about the, about the glue-on shoes, glue-on shoes... Well, my, my, uh, question, my question, my question uh, Chuck, is, is really less about uh, the shoes themselves. Uh, and we can, have a, we can have a conversation about whether they're, they're effective, they move a horse up, or they, they indicate injury. My, my whole issue is where you started, and that is transparency and, and what does a better have the right to know or what is the responsibility of the, the, rate, the wagering venue to provide that information? It's, it's, uh, a, it's a fair you know, question, and, 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 I, and, 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 and I understand, Tom, you're, you're asking a philosophical thing, question more than a but, but specific. Just one other thing. In, in this age, when this industry has to build 
uh, new clientele from the ground up, anything and everything that smacks of a lack of transparency confuses those kind of folks and sends them away. So, so you know, th- there's a larger there's a larger question here, and that is what what are, are the suits in this industry who have the power and the control? What's their marketing plan to make to make it easier for new people to come to the game and learn how to wager and be comfortable doing so? Uh, Jimmy Ferraro made a made a you know a comment in our conversation on Facebook about. Well, how much information do we really, useless information does the handicapper really want? Well, there's, there's two answers to that. Some people want as much information as they are entitled to, and others will just decide what they think is important since they're wagering money. And the last thing I'll say is that I've always felt that the past performances should be as truthful and sacrosanct as a prospectus that uh, someone like uh, uh, West Point Thoroughbreds or uh, or uh, Tesla Automobiles offers to investors, and and you know they have the SEC to protect them, which doesn't mean that uh, nobody cheats. But we don't have anything like that in our game. We have all these jurisdictions, which you pointed out. Some tell you they're wearing bar shoes. Some don't tell you anything. Treating treating a better like a like like a mushroom in a cave covered with dirt. Well, I don't know if you followed along a couple of weeks back when Equibase more or less <laughs> admitted that their times weren't accurate, and this was after a lot of prodding from um, some prominent figure makers, including Randy Moss. Yes. Um, Craig Milkowski of, of uh, Timeform USA has been fighting this war, uh, <laughs> seemingly shooting, a, you know, like North Korea and South Korea, every once in a while, they'll just, you know, take a shot across the bow and then nothing <laughs> happens. It seems like that's he's, what he's been doing because he's been saying this for a long time, that the times are not accurate at a lot of these tracks. And... Uh, Equibase is the official data provider, uh, the record keeper of our industry. And to me and to many others, it was appalling that they did not seem to be taking this as seriously as most of us believe they should be. And that um, a couple of the comments seemed almost flippant. And, and they've come out uh, again with a press release last week that kind of said, you know, we we now understand your concerns and we're going to, you know, see what we can do and blah, blah, blah. And Andy Beyer was on Steve Bick's show a couple of weeks ago. And, and uh, if, you, if you can get a chance to listen to what he had to say, he, he made several excellent, um, excellent points about that. So I, yesterday, okay, I'm going to tell you a quick little story. So we're watching the race at Gulfstream, the fourth race. It's a maiden special for two-year-olds going one mile, which to me, it's just too early to be running horses one-turn miles. I, I think it's, I don't think it's good for them. But listen, uh, the race was carded and it, it, it was run. Well, there was one horse in the race who was wildly overmatched, and the horse literally got outrun after a quarter mile. And I texted someone to find out. How many? I mean, the horse got beat so far, like TVG had cut off before it even finished across the finish line. And I texted someone and said, "Can you give me the beaten lengths for that horse?" 
and they 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 texted me back. The horse finished. He did cross the wire, so the, the owner does get a check. The horse got beat ninety four and a quarter. <laughs> and, and I said, I said, you know, it's interesting that we can we can determine that a horse got beat ninety four and a quarter lengths. But we can't be sure that the times for the races are actually right. <laughs> excellent, excellent point about what we can do or what we can't do. And and Chuck, I'm sure you know this. Um, we can pro- we in this industry can probably do anything and everything that we decide we have the will to do, and and that it's in the industry's best interest to actually do it. That, I mean. I love this game as you do. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, we're not uh, idealists. Uh, and, you know, it's got, every game's got its, uh, its blemishes. But this is, this is part of our history of sports. Um, the equine athlete uh, is uh, majestic to watch. And, and I've watched guys like you, and you know tons of people who have nothing but the care of the horse in mind. And I'm sure that Barkley Tag, if gluons were good for the horse, he did it. That's why he did it. I, I, I mean, I think he's a consummate horseman. So, so my question is not, and my concern is not about the fact that he wore them, but the fact that Either I was remiss in in finding out about it, or they were remiss in telling me. That's all. Right, right. Now, so, I, I have had this argument um, many times, not particularly about, about gluon shoes, but one of the problems that uh, I can see happening is when you're you're trying to gather more and more and more information is that I would rather have no information than incorrect information. And we see this all the time with the geldings, when horses are listed as being gelded four days before the race. Yep. And you know that the horse wasn't gelded four days before the race. That's and exactly it, right. It was, the, the problem was the horse was listed as gelded when the trainer made the entry. But, but we're in a situation these days where we're beggars. We're begging for entries. We're, we're not, these aren't the days where when, when I first started training, we got on the also eligible a lot. That meant yeah. it was more than twelve horses entering races, and yeah. for the turf races especially, it, it was it was an issue. And these days, you know, you see six horse turf maidens, you you see five horse two year old races. So we're needing entries. So if you have an entry and you need that guy to fill a race, you're not going to tell him. Well, you didn't fill the form out properly, so this the source we're not going to let you enter in this race. That's yeah. just not going to happen because we need the horses, Chuck. and it's bad. It, it sucks, but it, it's 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 a yeah. it's a pro, it's an industry wide problem. And my my thing is that we need to make sure that the information we do collect and we do store and it is disseminated properly that it's accurate that it's not Absolutely. inaccurate because inaccurate information is probably worse than none at all and. Uh, like the gluon to, to talk about gluon shoes for just a minute because I'm sure people do have a, a question about it. Gluing shoes on is a se- the, the shoes that you're using are the same exact shoes that you would put nails in, except you're just using an acrylic uh, kind of a glue. Essentially, it's a glue. It's literally a glue, and this way uh, the horse doesn't have to take nails. 
It's used sometimes for a bruise, but most often it's used for horses that just have shelly feet, that they don't have um, great hoof strength, uh, hoof wall strength. And the last thing you really want to do for a horse like that is put nails in them because you're putting a hole in the horse's foot, and it's hard It's hard to do it exact. I mean, and the, and the blacksmiths are, are, are you know, it, blacksmiths are, are amazing. Some of the best blacksmiths are, are really, like, they're, they're uh they 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 perform almost miracles on some of these these horses and believe me horses don't always love to get shot it's not like they all stand there perfectly some of them really don't and and it's a tough job but the glue on shoes prevents the nails from going in the hoof wall and it kind of of, of of prevents some of the deterioration of the hoof wall and it's really just the adhesive it is the shoe itself is is essentially the same shoe it's just a different way of of putting it on and i would say these days you might have for the best horses. Obviously, it's about four hundred dollars to put a, a set of glue on. Yeah, it's I know about. It's, it might even be higher for some that's in New York and in California and places where expenses are a little higher. But it's about one seventy-five to two hundred for a regular set of shoes. So, uh, obviously, the better horses would be more likely to get them because of, of expenses. But mm-hmm. I would say maybe ten percent of the horses that run. Uh, maybe on a big day, maybe a higher percentage because people are more likely not to take a chance that that the horses, uh, you know, with the horses' um, feet, and, and are more likely to to put gluons on, spend the extra money, and and feel safe. And it really is something that wouldn't be um, it really wouldn't be information that would be utilized very well. It's not as though it's a negative, and it's not really a positive. It's it's kind of a you know, it's it's kind of a neutral thing, and um, you know, like I, I would I would think the tongue tie information would would be um, would be a lot more pertinent, and, and that's never happened. And I agree, and, and and Chuck, I agree on the tongue ties, but that's near impossible. But 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 the other thing that you said, you said it, it it's not necessarily negative, and not necessarily positive, so it's neutral. But, but the bottom line is. That it's because there's there's concern for the hoof wall, and I'm not arguing that that concern should be met. But you know, as I as I said, um, Dick Dutrow said, no hoof no, or no no feet, no 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 horse. And anytime the feet need protection or the hooves need protection, it it, it can all of a sudden burst, and it uh, you know, you got you got to. As a handicapper or better, I think you should be informed. I, I want to say one last thing, Chuck, because I, I, after going, I very much appreciate uh, your giving me this time. D. Wayne Lucas was interviewed here at the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago uh, for a capital OTB. And what he said was this. He said, if, if I got caught cheating in any way, shape, or form... Mr. Robert Lewis would fire me immediately. That's the first thing. The second thing he said is that if someone if someone is breaking the rules, well, the owner should not be allowed to run, or the horse should not be allowed to run. Now, you made an excellent point when you said we live in the era of hustling horses for for races, which is all the more reason for us to make sure that the horses are racing, uh, the information about the horses are racing that are racing is is out there 
uh, for everyone to see, understand, and help them bet judiciously. Chuck, I want to tell you, I, I, I am I'm very much impressed um, with what you're doing. I hope it builds and grows for you, and I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. So when you come to Saratoga, if I'm still here, you come and we'll cook your breakfast. How's that? Yeah, that sounds like a, a, a good deal, Tom. You got it. I, breakfast is, is an important meal. It's your first meal of the day. <laughs> okay, Chuck. Thanks a lot. <laughs> thank you, well. Tom. I appreciate it. And, you know, one of the points that Tom makes, it's, it's, it's true. And there is a point where there's possibly too much information. I had gotten in a debate, I recall now, about medication. And some people wanted all a horse's medication, uh, everything that a horse received to be made public. And, you know, the difficulty in getting that done would 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 lead to um issues with uh, like I said before with with misinformation with wrong information with missing information which would be which would almost be worse it would be worse and it it's a very difficult um task to 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 have and I understand I don't like what Churchill Downs had their their stance towards racing I don't like it I, I wish that they cared more about horse racing, but I understand that they're a big corporation and they care about um, profits. And I understand that in the big leagues, in the real world, that we can't um, just, quote unquote, waste money on things that aren't going to show tangible benefits. That being said, and I shouldn't just point Churchill out, but they're the most obvious. Um, it would be very expensive to do something like that. You would have to hire two or three people at the very least in order to do that. And I don't know that it would be beneficial because the first thing is that whatever um, trainers that are suspected of doing things uh, that aren't above board – they're not going to put those down on their, <laughs> on the sheets. That that those things are going to just you know slide. It, it's it's just you know people aren't going to put things that are illegal on any kind of record. That that's how it you know. I mean, no one would do that. Um, when people rob banks, they don't leave deposit slips or excuse me withdrawal slips. You know, they just rob the bank. So there, there are some, and I, my, my thing was that it just isn't enough information. It's not information that's going to create um, revenue. It's not going to create uh, more handle. And if anything, it might make things more complicated. And trust me, we have a hard time getting gelding information which is far easier. And, and most, you know, most medication that are given to horses, it's mundane stuff. It's not, you know, you, you might give your horse a little butte if they, they have a little, uh, if they got a cut or some antibiotics or uh, um, some kind of uh, adequan, which is, is, you know, for um, joint health or a wormer or a, a lot of kind of mundane stuff and maybe you would give them something if they if fillies and they tied up or they had um 
you know, some sort of, uh, they would get maybe vitamin, uh, selenium and vitamin E and, you know, j- just things like that. And, and you would just see a lot of data and a lot of information that really wouldn't help lead you anywhere. Um, so th- there's got to be definitely that that uh, that line of um, too much information that it's too expensive and, and too hard to, to, to process for too little gain. And I think that certainly glue on shoes is not an issue that that's going to lead anyone down to the path to uh, finding winners or finding losers. It, it, it just, it just my own experience with my own horses. Um, it, it just hasn't. Uh, I actually won a race a few years ago with a horse that had a spider plate on a spider plate is a form of a bar shoe and my vet or excuse me my not my vet my blacksmith had to literally beg me to use it because I just didn't want to use it and because of the connotation of a bar shoe and a spider plate is kind of a modern bar shoe that it's that's made uh, this one was made with aluminum so it wasn't like the heavy big bulky bar shoes that that used to be used but it's still it wasn't a regular shoe and it was actually more of an, a pad than a, than a bar shoe. But he convinced me to use it, and we did, and the horse won. And I almost felt bad because um, – and not that anyone would have bet the horse because I had the bar shoe on. I mean, obviously, the more likely would have chased people off the horse. But uh, if I was in New York, I would have had to have declared that. And I do believe that that is something that, that – is information that that should be made uh it should be made public um i believe tongue tie information i mean we get front bandage information on the, the pps and the chart caller sees the horses in the post parade and 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 notes you know denotes that they have um a front bandage on and it would you know there, there's no reason that the well actually the the um the paddock judge does have does have uh, that information, so it would be interesting to see. Um, we have another caller on line two. Caller, is this Joe? Yes, sir, Sir Charles, my man. What's up, buddy? The great Joe Villante, Philadelphia's mayor. Yeah, right. What are you doing? Well, we're having a show here, and uh, today's show, we're, we're letting people call in and uh, ask questions or, or say their piece. So, what is happening in, 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 uh, up in Parksland? Well, uh, as you know, it's kind of like a love-hate relationship with me, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's my local track. And, um, but, so I, I want to see it do so well. And it was just, it's just so mismanaged because like a lot of places, they really don't want racing and, uh, they do everything they can to sabotage it. And, uh, that's, that's from the management side, you know, from the horsemen, I actually blame the horsemen's association for, for all of this or 90% of it because, Again, it's just my opinion. That's what we're doing, right? Yep. We're giving opinions. Um, is that being close to it 
know, knowing that uh, you know that the horse that the casino wants nothing to do with it, right? So when you know that, then it's it's behoovement uh, behooving upon the horseman to take action, you know, and to be ahead of the curve and, and to anticipate things and to put some of them 250 million in resources that they get rather than just sticking every dime in purses um, to build the brand, to build, you know, like at Gulfstream, how, you know, no matter what, how horrible the racing is in the summer at Gulfstream, they're still betting many millions of dollars a day, you know, because they've built a brand. And they, they've educated people, and they make you have a good time there. So, you know, they've got great food and, 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 and outlets. Where Parks does none of that, and the horsemen, I've been yelling at them for years, you know, it's your fault, you know, because you don't, you're willing to take a, a simple payout in the form of a pension, $50 a race, and health insurance. And so then they just turn the blind eye to everything else. So that's kind of what's caused, you know, parks, and, I, and you and I know that it's not going to last much longer, these, these purses, but, uh, you know, they, that, that's, that's how I see it. Uh, we can get into it at any time in, in more detail, but that's what I see as the, as the main issue, is that the horsemen just don't have leadership. I mean, when you were here, you, you said, I mean, they have people making four or $500,000 on the books for a job that's a fifty sixty $60,000 a year job. You figure that out. You know, when I when I went there, Joe, I went to one horseman's meeting, and I, I expressed that uh, we should be trying to, like you said, build the brand and and be less reliant on on alternate source of revenue that use that revenue to build uh, the circuit and to start doing that. Um, the purses were fine, but they needed to work with the track and with the state commissioners in order to lower the takeout to to just uh, you know semi reasonable rates. I mean, at the time, I think the trifecta takeout was like thirty six percent. And I, I I said I said guys, no one bets your races. I work for a couple guys that bet that bet big money, and they they laugh about betting here. Their own horses yeah. run here, and they won't bet because the takeout is so ridiculous. And and then Sal Debunda told me that I didn't know what I was talking about, and that uh, people don't really care, and that the guy that bets two dollars doesn't care if he gets back fifty nine dollars or sixty four dollars. That you know, blah blah blah. And I said, well, I do have a degree in this from the University of Arizona, so I I, I might actually, you know, I, I have worked for racetracks. I might actually know a little bit about it. And anyone that doesn't see the concept of um, being more self-sufficient as a good thing, and it was kind of like poo-pooed. And this was, you know, so I don't know, five, six, seven. Uh, I guess I guess about eight, nine years ago now. And the idea was that the slots were there, the law was the law, and they were. This was going to go on forever. And everybody knows. Well, everybody that's cognizant of like reality understands that laws change. And that when the government needs money, they're going to find sources for it. They're not going to, um, they're not going to let big pots of money like this go unrated. And and it's happened already. And it was they the governor that that you have now who who is, is a dreadful governor. I mean that this guy's a moron. Uh, oh, he's a business. And, and, and and I mean he's yeah. he's you know he he got all over Ben 
Roethlisberger for getting a haircut. Anybody, <laughs> anybody in the state of Pennsylvania needs a haircut. It's that guy. But, uh, you know, it, it's like he was trying to take the money last year when the economy was booming and when things were good. And and there's no doubt that the racing, especially on the, the standard bread side, is, is far, far better than it was prior to have having the, um, the, the, uh, the slot revenue. Um, but. And the breeding programs have certainly have been enhanced quite a bit, but like you said, Joe, the money has—they've uh, had about a billion dollars paid out there, and it's almost like it's been squandered because uh, the handle is still not—it's not nearly what it should be. Uh, I, I spoke to a trainer there, you know, via text, and and I, and I said, I said, dude. The other day, you guys had a, a forty-seven thousand dollar allowance race. The handle on the race, the total handle on the race, was like two hundred and fifty thousand. I said your portion for for purses was about you know six seven thousand out of that, and that means forty of the money came from somewhere else. And if that money gets slashed, which you see what's happening in Jersey. And Jersey, yeah. they're trying to take away $20 million, which is a – if Pennsylvania only lost $20 million, they, they, they'd probably do a, a – a, you know, they'd probably break dance, you know? Yeah, they'd sign up tomorrow for that. For five years, they would, they would like you said, they would have a party. And, and, and it's, it's just, you know, the lack of um, foresight. Foresight, You know, yeah. we, you, you were just – that's the big thing. I mean, Seven, you know, they, Joe, seventy five hundred dollar claimers. If they ran for twenty three thousand and twenty instead of twenty eight thousand, everybody would survive. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, not like it's, you're going to die. It, it just is. It's just uh, and, and and there, you know, the one issue that I had. This was my you know my own personal issue when I had went there was that I had middle class horses. And I had some maiden special types, and I had some allowance horses, and I had some 30, 40 claimers. And you almost couldn't get raced there because everything that they were writing was cheap, 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 cheap. And, and I understand it. Like, why go spend 100000 to run for a $47,000 purse when you can spend 10000 and run for a $30,000 purse? Right. There is no plan. There's no plan from any part of it. There is no program for the horses, for young horses. Um, there is there is nothing. I've been yelling like, look, take five grand off of each purse, like you just said. No, everybody be happy to run for a maiden race for forty thousand or forty five or you name it. Use that money to put an, an analyst on TV to upgrade your production, to bring people in from the form or Brisnet or somewhere else to teach people how to read, make them have a good experience. And there's a lot of wonderful people there that work there that. They've never worked anywhere else. They don't know any better, and I think that's on purpose. They don't go out and get someone who's really good at their at their job at Keeneland or Churchill or you named it, you know, the track, Naira, and bring them here to, like, lead. There's no one, zero, no one's job who works there is to make you have a great experience and or increase revenue. I mean, it's unfathomable. And there are many other places like that, you know, and it's a shame. I mean, not to set it out. You just asked me, 
about parks, and I'm passionate about it, so I get on the, the soapbox about this. But I'm not out here to bash anyone. They're, they're, so there's a lot of great people. It's just that they bury their head in their sand. The, the, the horsemen bury their head in the sand thinking it's going to last forever, and you just laid out basic economics. It can't. Fifteen years ago when they started, there wasn't a, a casino every state, neighboring state. Obviously, when Delaware got it first, you're next. It's going to be everywhere around. So you got to have a little foresight, which, the, you know, together, the race, the uh, organization of parks, and, um, and the horsemen didn't have. And, and the organization side, the owners of parks, I believe, I'm not sure if it still is this today, but at one time in, in the recent past, they were the number one net casino in America. Yeah, in America, I, 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 think, I think they're number two now to Aqueduct. But- yeah. The, I mean, there's, I mean, there's been a lot, a lot of yeah. a frightening amount of money was raised for the industry, and you know, Joe, hold on, stay on the line. Uh, Casey, yep. we have uh, another caller. We have uh, uh, JB from Queens is, is is calling in. Joe, stay on the line. JB, hello. Hey, Charles, how you doing? Good. Welcome to the show. Hey, man, uh, had a lot of back and forth with you on Facebook about Carmelo Anthony, so it's finally good to talk to the man behind the voice. Listen, there, there was one rule today. <laughs> you can bring up any topic but the Knicks. <laughs> All right? No Knicks yeah. talk because things are kind of trending in the right direction and they're kind of doing the right thing. They hired a professional to run the team that wasn't, you know, a, a, a maniac like, like Phil Jackson with a stupid triangle. And, and, and like, the, the word, like, hey, we're going to trade Julius Randle for Mike Connolly and a draft pick? I'm like, hello, sign me up for that. Like, I would trade Julius Randle for uh, uh, an In-N-Out burger and, and uh, you know, two milkshakes. I mean, exactly. he's not the type of player you build a team around, but... Right, but anyways, we're not supposed uh, to be talking about the Knicks. Uh, Don't get me going on the Knicks. I, I, I'm like Joe is with Parks. I am with the Knicks. But Jim, I know James I know. Dolan is my enemy. I know. I, I I tease you and Barry about Carmelo, but you know I, I understand, man. It's just all in good fun. You know what the funny thing is about it is was that when Carmelo was on the Knicks, I was like his biggest defender. When people would say, you know, he doesn't play any defense, I would say because they're playing him at the wrong position. He cannot play the three. He cannot guard small forwards. He's right. a big guy. I mean, Carmelo's a big guy, and, and he, he can guard fours. You know, post players pretty good, but, of course, they don't have post players anymore. But um, anyways, I know you have some horse racing issues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after the derby and... I, I, I put up a post, and I don't know if you commented on it or not, but the one the one thing that I've, I've come to conclude, if a California horse has speed, they don't try to take them away, take it away from them. Tis the law has, with maybe one exception, always broken so well from the gate, and they 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 want him to track instead of taking advantage of that early foot. The only scenario that I thought going into the race was where he would be beat is if he allowed Authentic to get too far in front of him without making him expend any energy 
and then he wouldn't be able to run him down. And that's exactly what happened. Now, I'm not saying you put him out there and let him go winging on the lead, but have him take New York traffic spot instead of having to deal with Paco Lopez and his idiocy on New York traffic. You know, honestly, I see it a little different. How do you see it? I don't understand why Paco took back. He had to jump on on the horse, and he could have forced him wide in the turn. And he, he did stay. I mean, it wasn't like Johnny V got right to the rail. He did stay a little bit wide off the rail. Right. But he could have really forced Authentic's hand, and he didn't. He he. I think he thought I was gaining on him in the Haskell. I'll try to get the same trip as I got in the Haskell, and this right. this time I'll run him down. And obviously that didn't happen. I, I mean, if you would put the scenario of how it worked out at the half-mile pole, you said that Authentic would be on the lead, that New York traffic would be tra- tracking him, that Trisdalo would be third on the outside tracking him. I, that's kind of how I expected it to go. I just was surprised they didn't make Johnny V work a little harder to get to the lead, especially in, in the considering the he, he didn't right. break because that every, well. Everybody's expressed that, you know, oh, Johnny was rushed up. Johnny wasn't rushed up. The horse was allowed to gather himself after an awkward break. And even though the fraction came back sub-23, he did it well within himself. And, and it's a straightaway. Don't forget, too. It's a, exactly. it's a straight. It's not a, It's not 22 around a turn. It's 22 and change. And, and, and you know, then he got this, uh, a, a pretty soft second quarter, and he was allowed to, to run his race. And, he, he listen, he was a lot better than the Haskell. He oh. was a lot better than, the, than he was in the Haskell. And... I mean, I know people hate to do this, but I, I give Baffert a lot of credit, and he worked he worked that horse hard, 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 hard. Right. And right. He, he when Laz Barrera did that with um, oh my god, I can't think of the horse who won the Belmont that no one ever thought would go a mile and a half. Oh, he, the one that Angel Angel yes, got him the last right. Quarter. He stole he stole the the, the Belmont on the lead right. with the horse that nobody thought could go a mile and a half. He was praised roundly. For the amazing training job he did, and I, I think it's 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 a similar situation here. But Baffert is is a figure that is incendiary, <laughs> you know. Like he, he, everyone's got an opinion on him. It seems oh, yes, one way yes, or another. Yes. The fact that they're about to take away Justify Santa Anita Derby, um, and uh, I mean I've explained that before. It, it probably. He probably, honestly, the last two positives he's got probably weren't like um, uh, smoking guns of any sort. That they've had an issue with the Jimson weed in California forever, and right. the the the, eight, the, Sierra, uh, the the California Racing Board dropped the ball on um, on changing their own rule, which they were going to, and then they didn't do it, and then this happened, and there was, I guess, a couple other horses that wound up in the same situation. Right. Um, but, of course, this one is, is a far bigger situation, and it came back to bite them in the ass because they didn't change the, the, the rules that, that they were going to, and as such, when, when Mick Ruiz sued, he, he's, you know, you get in a court of law, and they're going to go by the book, and that's one of the things that people don't understand why when they they call for a guy to get a lifetime suspension or they call for this or they call for that that there are legal protections for people even people that break rules even people that that do things illegally 
um, you know, there, there's sometimes there's uh, limits as to what the penalties can what the penalty be. Can be right, and, exactly. and I've said that that like getting involved. Um, with a government agency, the government agency itself has got to ha- everything. They have to do everything exactly right, and that's why the thought process that oh well, if the the, the California board had adjudicated this justified thing properly, he would have never been you know qualified for the the derby because um, he wouldn't have accrued enough points. Right. Well, the fact of the matter is, under no circumstances. Would this have gotten done in a month? It would have never, ever, ever, ever gotten done in a month because they wouldn't a lot of times get the test results back for a couple of weeks. Okay. And then once you get those results back, um, then you have a certain amount of time to decide if you want to get a split sample, which would you know either verify the the positive the or, result, or it, 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 right. it would uh, you know debunk it but and, and by the time that came back then you would have to have a hearing and uh, you know the, in order to have a hearing you have to have all the pertinent parties there or enough of the people from the the board to have a quorum and it, it just it, it's not it, you know it's it's like if you you know you arrest somebody all right and they they they, they get a you know they go to jail well they're not going to wind up in court within like a week, you know, even traffic court. I mean, you get a ticket and, and you go to traffic court, what, 45, 60 days later? Yeah. So yeah. It, it's not like the, the, the wheels of justice are going are gonna to move fast. So he would have never not been allowed to run in the derby. So that, that is one thing that, that people really need to like forget about that 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 wasn't going to happen he was running in the derby regardless regardless but he 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 technically by the the lay of the land by the rule that they have he was in violation of it and uh, you know and he would have got away with it had they not sued if the you know the lawsuit you get to court and it's a whole different story oh okay but all right, brother. I'll let you get back to your other caller, and I'll see you on Facebook, and we'll chat another time. Yes, we will for sure. Later. See ya, Joe. Are you still there? Sure. That was uh, that was interesting. The only thing I would say, Chuck, regarding uh, the race, that I think you know, at the three quarter poll, if you would have got had in in race wagering, you know, you'd have taken two to five on Tis the Law. No doubt. <laughs> I, I thought he so, was. I, I mean, thought he was a winner, Joe, from the half mile poll. I, I really right. did. I, I so, was. I was actually shocked that he didn't go by. Right. Interesting and enough for like three months, maybe more. Uh, my son Chase, you know, our youngest one, fourteen, who loved the game when he was a little little guy, and then from like ten to fourteen, wanted nothing to do with it. Whenever I'm traveling around, he never wanted to come with me. You know, and then about six months ago, I don't know what switched, and now he's watched every movie a hundred times. He's he's reading books. He's looking at pedigree. Well, he loved authentic, right? And uh, for months, and then he let now he'll laugh at this, but he let Frank Miramati talk him off it. We we go to uh, we did something all summer called we used to call it Fridays with Frank, and we go to Mama's for the for the day, the six races, then we go out and eat with Frank. And he's like become part of our family, like you. And and uh, and I think people and, should know that Frank Miramati only eats pizza. That's it. 
pizza. His, uh, I'll disclose his complete his complete <laughs> diet consists of some peanuts and fruit mornings, afternoon. Dinner is pasta, red sauce only, or pizza, plain only. That's it. From preordained establishments, you know. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah, I have, so to, that's you have to be approved. Yeah. Yes. FM approved. approved. Right. <laughs> so, um, in saying that, so Frank, you know, we after the Haskell, we were eating, and, Fra- and Frank was like, no, you know, Chase, uh, he's going to be tied to a pole when they get to the eighth pole, you know. They're going to go past him like he's been tied to a pole. And Chase then got on the um, King Guillermo. He started watching his videos, training, and he held his stats. Anyway, uh, when King Guillermo got scratched, I'm like, why don't you go back to to authentic? But he, he didn't. But uh, it, was a, it was a fun day. Uh, regardless you know i think i think uh, the race really the complexity of it changed i did a show with barry last monday and we went through the derby field and this was actually before the posts were drawn just kind of you know a synopsis of every horse um sure and we completely blew off mr big news who wound up finishing third like i didn't even know like i didn't have the pps for him anything and i was like i don't even remember this horse ever running um, right. So that was obviously a, a, a thing, and you know it's funny. Uh, Craig Mikowski put the chart, the time for me to say chart, up uh, a couple hours ago on Twitter, and I was looking at it, and, and I was thinking to myself, you know, outside of the one-two finishers, and I, I really thought Tisdale was going to win, and I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised. And honestly, you know, the one way that he was going to lose would be to a horse that like did something like go wire to wire. And, uh, you know, that happens. And, and uh, that, that's how you get beat sometimes in these races is a horse gets out to the lead and, you 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 know, especially in the standard breads, you know, where a horse yeah, gets yeah. to the lead and, and they may steal a quarter here somewhere. And then, you know, they they, they run a huge race and, and you just, because you're outside of them, you've got to run a little bit better because you are giving up a little ground to them. So. Uh, but when you go back through the field and see where everyone finished, it's a, it's actually a, a, a relatively logical finish place for most of the horses, except for the horse who finished third, Mister Mister Big. There, he wasn't right. he wasn't on anybody's radar. And uh, no. I'll be honest, I had the I had the super. Uh, if tis the law won, wow. of course that's not you know like yeah. <laughs> I, I used an all in third, so I would have had that. But I mean, believe me, it wasn't going to pay a million dollars. That's for sure. But um, yeah, it, it just was. Uh, it, it just was a. It was a bizarre kind of race where, where you have fifteen, you know, good three year olds, and and there's so little speed. It, it just is very unusual to see a race of that magnitude have have so little actual. I mean, Authentic was really the only legitimate front runner in the race. And I think had, had had King Guillermo stayed in as fresh as he was drawing inside, I think he would have been right up in with them uh, in the first turn. And Art Collector, of course, we don't know where he would have drawn, but right. he certainly was a horse that that has uh, early foot as well. So so those were two scratches that really affected the way the race set up, and and they both of them. Uh, and then thousand words was another one. Um, yep. 
and so you put three horses in inside of authentic going to that first turn and he's either a lot wider or he's having to use him a lot more to get to the lead so that that those races you know and part of the derby and this is what i've said for a couple couple weeks talking about it is a big part of the derby is getting there is getting in the gate look at all the horses that were considered big derby um you know types in in uh, back in in march and look sure. where a lot of them are. They're you know a bunch of them are, are, are off the, the trail. Line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's the yeah, obviously it's not the same Derby, right? And you have many more upsets um, in, in the first Saturday in May because you have a lot of horses who are unproven yet. By this time, they've run two to four more times, and they've kind of weeded themselves out to say these are the two or three best. So it's generally like just your your standard issue, you know, graded race it's not a it's not a race where you know the 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 hopes and the dreams of of all these horses uh are online i think you know most of the horses knew they they, or the connections knew they didn't have a chance they wanted to go for the owner or they were qualified too and they figured hey there's not going to be that many people there we'll go and enjoy ourselves today you know instead of uh the chaos that usually is there at Churchill, but I, I did nothing either. I mean, I, I, I threw out the California horses uh, just because I got, you know, the day before I didn't see them do too much, and I'm like, you know, they're running against the same horses, these five, six-horse fields all the time. You know, uh, maybe their lines look a little more dressed up than they really are. So it's the only way I make money. I put Tis the Law on top of, like, Max Player and South Bend, and uh, solo volante, and and none of that came there. I, I didn't make a, a major investment. It was just, you know, more of a, of a race to watch and rooting for Tis the Law, and and uh, for no other reason. It's just, you know, he's proven to be the best this point, you know, and uh, and uh, that was it. Yeah, we had we were at the Borgata. It was a great day. They allowed dining in there, so it was all good for from the, even though I didn't win. You know, my biggest regret from Saturday is the tenth race at the Meadowlands. <laughs> I, I screwed that up so badly. I thought it was, uh, you know, that Hyalator is such a good horse when he gets to the lead. I, it was one of those races where I thought it had to be two horses could win, and. There was only two that could win, and it was the horse who was third was clearly the third best horse. And I get, and, and this is, goes back to like wagering, how handicapping and wagering are two different things, and that you oh, can yeah. be a, a great handicapper, but if you don't bet properly, it, it's not going to matter. And and that was the case. I'm not saying I'm a great handicapper, but I mean, I I, I looked at this race and it jumped out on me. I said, this has got to be this, and and. And I wound up betting stupid pick fives and pick threes, and and, and the exact uh, the, the the try pays ninety four dollars with the only three. I, it, it paid thirty four dollars with the first with the second choice over the first choice. It paid thirty, I think thirty two dollars, and it like, oh man, it, it just. I'm sure that no it's one. Is, I'm sure. I'm sure no one is interested in my Meadowlands escapades. But that no, was, no, I'm not, that no, was no, just no, one no, of those no. things where, like, handicapping. You can handicap a race, have it exactly right, and then you walk away not really cashing very much, and you just feel so <laughs> stupid. I, and I really think that, um, you know, that, that the guys who are pros that do it for, uh, you know, do do it seriously. 
like the mental aspect of the of of betting it, it's so um it, it's so i think underappreciated by a lot of people in the industry that they don't understand the 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 agony sometimes that goes in the amount of hours that these guys put in um into the races and and the amount of uh time they spent watching films and and just you know figuring things out and, and trying to devise strategies and 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 sometimes i mean even like I, I know he's everybody's favorite guy to hate but andy serling is alive to five yesterday in the pick six and they're they're all paying i think the minimum was paying like eight and nine thousand and um <laughs> and a horse sneaks well, up the rail and beats him you know like you know how frustrating yeah. that's got to be when when you, you you run second third fourth and, and they're all paying you know eight thousand eleven thousand and uh it, it's um it, it's it's a it's, well, I, it's tough so so when these guys like they, they poo poo accurate information i'm like hey you know that's that's just not right and and i, I don't like the fact that Equibase monopolizes the data and, and they don't share because so much of uh, uh, that happens now with data, uh, the advances come when the data is shared and, and other and, and you get uh, uh, so many different other people using it and, and looking at it uh, at a different way and, and taking a different tact and. and when you make you, you hijack the data and you charge ridiculous amounts for its usage, I think you take away a lot of innovation and, and um, uh, you know, uh, like listen, we could we could complain about things the industry does wrong. Like we could have a twelve-hour show. But, um, I did want to say that um, I do want to announce that that um, your company, Bio Research uh, Laboratories, is, is going to be our first uh first sponsor for going in circles live on on tuesday afternoons um and we we have not taken on any sponsors before and one of the things that uh i was really cognizant of was that i wanted to believe in i I don't want to just take money well number one i don't take money from from uh products or or uh, organizations that i don't believe in but um I've used all your products, and, and I believe that they're they're quality, they're good, they're safe, they're legal, and they, they they're beneficial, and um, that that matters to me. And uh, you know, I, I think that uh, well, I, I think it's a it's a uh, it's like I said, it's a product that that a lot of people um, owners might be interested in, in doing some research and, and maybe asking their trainers maybe they want to use something because a lot of times the trainers uh, are happy to try different things it's just our, our margins as trainers uh, you know the guys that aren't training 150 or 200 horses um, are, are tight and it's you know if you can get the owners signed on to try something then you're certainly more willing to do it and uh and your your products are are, are ones that uh, I do believe in. Well, thank you, my friend. And uh, before we get into that for a minute, I want to just say two things about the handicap we were just discussing because um, it is I, I hope to be you know like a somewhat regular contributor to this when I come to Florida in the winter. It would be in the studio. I was hoping to be there today, um, and then we can talk about anything under the sun, food, music, which I love the most. Food, um, um, but the handicap. And I do consider. We talk about this all the time. I do consider myself 
a really good handicapper, but I am the world's worst better. And at 50-some, three years old, you would think I would be much better by now since I've been, you know, loving the game since I was a kid and being around it um, either as a better, as a small owner, and, and, and with the products now for the last 10 years, you would think I'd have been become better. But I am brutal at betting and just using my money wisely. You know, I just... And, and, and Andy Serling, I love Andy Serling. I'm not in the camp of the people that hate him because I believe that as, a, as, a, as an analyst and as somebody who's supposed to have, you're supposed to have an opinion. And as long as it has a basis of factual information, so be it. You know, and, and too many people just go on and say the, the company line or just play it down the middle. He gives you a reason why his horse he thinks is going to win, and why he thinks your horse is garbage. And I love it. <laughs> and I think that's what, that's what we need more of, more, more truthfulness. It's not personal. It's just truthful. And Andy brings it, and I'm a big, big fan of Andy's. But um, I thank you for, you know, A, taking us on, Chuck. I mean, there really there are three reasons really wondered why I wanted to do this. One is our friendship, um, you know, for years and uh, – now, and two, I wanted to hop on the train of the Going in Circles podcast because I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be involved with anything that's just the handicap like the other hundred of them are. And, you know, who knows more about all aspects of the industry that's doing this than you and the fact that we can talk sports and other things that, you know, it'll evolve into something I think that's phenomenal, you know? We're not talking and about the Knicks. Third, yeah. And third is, like, the ability for me to personally thank a lot of the people that I know that use my products. You know, I mean, these are guys, like, we've been making the EPO equine for 10 years, you know. Peter Miller has been buying a lot of it for 10 years on a monthly basis. You know, that guy kills it. He's an amazing trainer. You can say whatever you want about him and other people, but over time, the guy is as sharp as they come, you know. And it gives me when when they when they're successful. I I, I sit home. I this is what I do twenty four seven. I watch races from my car, from a kid's event, from home, and like I'm rooting for all the trainers that I know that use my products in every race. You know because I want them to succeed. I, it's not just like a job to me. This is like horse racing is my passion in life. And I figured at 40, how am I going to get involved other than owning some with five kids? Can't go walk horses, right? So I was living vicariously for a few years through uh, my eldest son, Christian. You know, and he, uh, we, we, we know what he's a bloodstock guy, as you know, and he worked for Todd Pletcher, and he went to work at Hillendale. And we'll, well, I was living vi- vicariously through him, you know, going to U.K. And, um, and I'm like, i got to figure out a way to do this. And we linked up with an amazing company that does the human side and we formed the equine side and uh in 10 years we've put we've put out three next month will be four products so we do spend the time the money the research what we say is in it is in it it's the highest quality products even the human side everything we do and um i don't want anybody to buy it or believe or or promote it who doesn't believe in it it's really just me to go around the world i was supposed to go to korea this october and we've been blessed that it just grows and grows and grows uh, around the world and, and here 
and uh, between the EPO equine, the Bleeder Shield now, uh, the Unlock, and soon to be the joint product Flexify HA, I know now's the time um, to do something ad- additional. And when we can discuss this and, uh, you know, and congratulate, you know, connections who believe in or just make us part of their team, that's all it is. We're just a little part of the team, and, and I feel like we do have a little part in it. Uh, it's exciting. So thank you, and I, I'm, I'm pumped up to be a part of this on a regular basis. Joe, you got to do me one favor. Yeah. If you go to Korea, yeah. you have to get the Korean barbecue. Well, I will get Korean everything. And, and then you got to, you know, like, like, are we really getting the real Korean barbecue over here? Right. Because that just kind of became well, a thing, not. Korean barbecue. And barbecue is, is, to me, it's an important part of my life. And yes. we need to know. Because, like, when I went to yeah. China, I went to Hong Kong and raced in uh, yeah. the Hong Kong yeah. uh, the Sprint. Right. The Chinese food, there's no little corns. You know the little corns they have over here? <laughs> they don't have them over there. And when I, everyone I asked right. over there looked at me like right. I had three heads. They're like, what are you talking about? Like it's yeah. like the Chinese food in, in actual China is not like the Chinese food here. It's totally different. Well, there's some great. I mean, uh, Steve Bick and I, we text all the time and call about restaurants uh, in listen, Philly. Uh, uh, Steve know? Bick, I, I'm so pissed off at him because he keeps sending me these pictures of these food places and i'm stuck right. you know like in, in in covid quarantine you know down here where half the restaurants aren't open and nobody wants to go right. and, and and he's showing me oh the other day i was so pissed off at him i said you know it's just not right to do that to a guy at seven o'clock at night it's just, it's just, well, it's just we, we, wrong for years texting and you know sending pictures back and forth of, of meals awesome he is like which i'm Distraught, you know, in in Philly, another love hate relationship my whole life. But they uh, they literally pre COVID had no doubt top two restaurant scenes in the country, you know. And uh, Joe, so what was the name of the duck place that we went to in uh, Sankey? Yes, that place Sankey. was that uh, that place yeah, was yeah. awesome. You know, one of it's one of the meals to... we had when we were in in Hong Kong, uh, the trainer. Um, the guy I tra- trained for, his cousin was a trainer over there, so I kind of hung around with him some, and, and he invited me and my, my ex-wife, Paula, to a, a dinner club, a supper club. And yeah. <laughs> so we go to this place, and it was pretty fancy, and, and, and they're sitting around this table, and there's like eight people, and and uh, they have like one of those you know tables that spins around. You know, you, you put the food on you. So we're sitting there, and, and the guy comes, and he says to me, he goes, uh, like, don't panic, but they're going to bring our, our main course out. So I was like, I didn't understand why he said don't panic. And then the chef came out with a live duck, <laughs> and, and and it was to be inspected by people. Like, duck was actually, you know, like, he had him by, like, you know, the duck. Uh, he, he was live. Right. And, and I was like... Oh, he looks all right to me. So, you know, about, about I don't know, forty-five minutes later, he came out in a different, uh, different fashion. But um, you know, it's it's funny that uh, uh, I've been so many places in the world, and and you can always find good food somewhere. You know, England gets bashed for their food, but when I went over for uh, the new market sales, 
there was a couple places that were recommended to me that, and the food was just, it was, was great. I mean, it was, yeah. it, was it was really, really good. Yeah. The food scene in, in, in most of the big cities around the world now, you just, it's so good. You wouldn't exist. You wouldn't stay in business long if you, I mean, obviously we can go there in that short window that they're in business and get a bad meal, but I'll tell you what I've become addicted to last year. Labor day was my first time. And I literally drive the four hours to Saratoga all winter long to go to Salivo, you know, it's uh, it opened like two years ago, and I didn't didn't go the first year. Didn't wasn't in, I wasn't that sharp to figure it out. But last year I went at the end, and for the last year I've literally gone there. Well, I was up to Saratoga last week, Wednesday and Thursday. Went both nights. Probably been there like a dozen times. To me, it's the best Italian American food, you know, anywhere Philly that I've ever eaten, and and, and you know, growing up. In the Italian, in the Philly version of the Bronx Tale, that's all you ate. You ate nothing else except, you know, Italian American food. And uh, this, by far, to me, is, I don't know. Did you get the chance to go last year when you when you were in Saratoga? Do you know about it? No, uh, I, I've heard. I've heard a lot of things, but. Uh... Last year at Saratoga, I was there literally for 24 hours. I actually flew right. to Newark. I went to the Meadowlands for the Hamiltonian, came up to Saratoga that night, and, and uh, stayed with my mom and dad, and uh, the next day, the next morning, went back. So I didn't have much time uh, last year. Gotcha. Now, we do, we do, we, we we do have a, a food connoisseur about to join us. Who's that? Mr. Parada, are you there? Hey, first time, first time. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Prada. I just, wanted to, I just want to weigh in on some of the food commentary I was listening to. First of all, you would never know by looking at you, Chuck, that you yourself are a purveyor of fine foods. I, I, I'm a purveyor <laughs> of quality and quantity. And then, and, then, and then secondly, I know you're a worldly guy. You know, London probably has the best Indian food on the planet. And uh, I just want to give a shout-out to the best Thai barbecue in the world, which is in the East End, just past Liverpool Street Station now, called the Smoking Goat. The Smoking Goat? The Smoking Goat. Goat. Absolutely fantastic. Best Thai chicken wings you'll ever have. I've been to England three times, and the only part of England I saw was Gatwick Airport. We, we go right now, right to Newark, or not Newark, right my Victoria God. And then just jump in an Uber, and you could be in the East End now, which which nobody used to go to, but now is, it's kind of like the Tribeca of London now. You know, I, when when I was actually like a big shot, they, they picked me up, and, and they brought me, they, they had a driver pick me up uh, in Newmarket, the sales. Jimmy George, my friend Jimmy George at, at uh, Newmarket, uh, who's been there forever. Uh, we we went over with Mrs. Thayer and we bought quite a few horses, a couple, a uh, couple decent ones. Uh, Mon, uh, Monte, not Monte Castillo. Uh, I can't remember anything. Seeking Answers is the name of the horse. He wound up winning a stake at Kentucky Downs, and it's funny that the the year he won it, it was a fifty thousand dollar purse, and now it's like a seven hundred thousand dollar purse. So uh, <laughs> I missed out. I missed out on that. That uh, I I think I'm like the thirty fourth leading trainer in the history of Kentucky Downs, and I haven't even run there in like a decade. At one time, I, I was really, you know, I had a good record at that place, but that's when allowances were like twenty-one thousand, and stakes were like fifty and seventy-five. I think they, I think they ran a, a stake race yesterday that a bunch of maidens competed in for half a million dollars. 
Well, the Delmar Futurity yesterday had four maidens out of six. It's actually sad that uh, uh, not not to get back to like you know racing talk or anything, but I mean I mean when the when that's a Grade One race and the race before it uh, at Delmar the turf uh, the juvenile turf was a thirteen horse race. <laughs> it just kind of shows you like where racing is trending when you, we can't even muster up more than two non maidens in a Grade One and uh, and a, an unlisted uh, you know. Turf race gets thirteen. It's uh, I I don't know what else to say other than like it just is is the the trend. So I mean that begs the question: like, where are all the two year olds on dirt? Right? Where where have they gone? Used to used to start racing two year olds in New York in April on the dirt, and now you don't start racing until Jan until June, right? So. And you end up with a bunch of maidens and stake races. I mean, we had a maiden win the other day, right, from Philly Park in Saratoga. Yeah. You know, I remember when I first got to Kentucky, Keeneland would run eight maiden races a year in April, four for the Phillies and four for the boys. And I remember one year they they actually ran two extras because there was so many entries. And... uh, it just is 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 so much different, and and now, in the early season maiden races, if it's not Steve Asmussen or Todd Pletcher or Wesley Ward, there's virtually no one else running in these races, or you know John Hancock. But uh, it, it, it's like totally totally changed, and and uh, I remember seeing a, an old form from like 20 years ago. It was a June card at Belmont. And it was late June, but uh, they had split division of New York bred two-year-olds. Split division. It was like uh, twelve or fourteen in one, and, and thirteen in the other. And if you run that race in June now, you get four or five. And this year is a little different because all uh, you know the two-year-old and training sales mostly got postponed, and everybody was kind of in flux for a couple months. But last year was was pretty much the same. But even last year, like, I mean, taking into consideration COVID this year, as as you're saying, and the sales being delayed, even last year, I mean, you, you know, you've been, when you were training, you were my trainer for a long time. You know I operate on both sides of the, the fence, the wagering side and the owning side. And you know that on the wagering side of the fence, one of the marquee, things that I used to do is I used to go to the two-year-old sales. We used to clock all the horses, and then we used to follow those horses to the extent that we could through where they landed. You know, if we knew the trainers and the outfits, we would certainly follow them very closely, but even if we didn't, we would track their progress, maybe even get workout reports on them, and then, you know, bet on the ones that we, we knew were good coming out of the sales and were running later. I mean, I would love for someone to do an analysis on what percentage of the two-year-old sale prospects actually make it to races as two-year-olds. Because anecdotally, I could tell you that the number that I've seen as a as a better has decreased significantly over the last ten years. Yeah, it's it's you know someone was actually emailing statistics of certain buyers. Um, you know, sizable buyers uh, during during the two year old sales, and, and a lot of them 
I don't know how exactly complete and accurate the records that they were sending out, but it was an anonymous source, and they were emailing them all over the place. And, and some of the the bigger outfits really had had pretty poor records. Um, and and I, you know, I, I get it. It's, it's hard to to. It, it's not easy. It's not easy to to find good horses. And there's a lot of things that can happen. You might buy the best horse that you could have ever bought and he might have kicked the stall wall and broke his back leg and never made it to the races i mean there's so many things that can happen but uh you know the and this is something i've talked about like ad nauseum people are sick of it i'm sure that like when all the good horses are in the hands of the same people uh and that's kind of what my issue with the my racehorse thing is not not that um you know, people shouldn't be able to spend their money on whatever they want to. And I think someone put it great. With this. They said it was almost like a participation trophy, you know, the micro shares. But it's, it's just another way of feeding people into the big horse barns. And, you know, like that, that's, that is an issue that will kill racing. And we have no one to blame but ourselves in that there just isn't enough competition. And that's why you're going to see a lot of uh, poor card betting cards. And, and, and you're seeing it now. You're seeing a lot of overwhelming favorites. You saw it in Laurel yesterday. At uh, They had a turf race, a $100,000 stake on the grass for Phillies. Uh, unlisted race the, the all along. And it was carded. It had nine horses in it. And Chad Brown put two graded stake horses in the race. Which is his prerogative. There's no, you know, nothing. He, he didn't do anything wrong per se, but he put he, he got so many good horses that he put two graded stake horses. They're probably the seventh and eighth or ninth and tenth best fillies on the grass he has, and everybody looked at the race and they all scratched. And and you know what? You know, you look at a race, a stake race with a filly, and you want to get black type, and. When you enter a race and you see one horse you can't beat, you still say, you know what, can I be second or can I be third? But when you see two of them you can't beat, then it's can I be third? I've got to beat these other five or six or seven horses just to be third. I don't think I can do it. I'm going to scratch. And it wound up being a four-horse race. It, It scratched from nine to four with good weather. And that that's not a good thing for the business because the people who are wagering that's not an interesting race. And then uh, later in the card, Todd Pletcher had a horse that paid uh, 260 to win in the Tessio. And again, it's nothing he's doing wrong. But the big outfits are, are invading these tracks too because they have so many horses and in, 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 uh, that um, they have so many of the same type of horses, they have to find places for them to run. So you're getting these races even at the secondary tracks with. Uh, huge, huge favorites and small fields, and and that's ju- that's just a self-induced problem. That the government's not causing that problem. The regulation isn't causing that problem. We don't need Mitch McConnell to come and, and fix that problem. That's a problem that that uh, may not have an easy solution, but it certainly is a problem. Though many in the industry, in positions of power, don't want to admit that. I can't. I, be- I can't believe you guys aren't talking between you two guys. That that, that that's amazing. <laughs> well, I, I would definitely, obviously, it's hard to to dispute what you say. I would say that this un, totally unscientific. I think that uh, if you the yearlings purchased 
um, by end users at yearling sales get to the races faster than, in general, than, than the two-year-old sale buyers' horses do. I mean, I don't have any data to pick that up other than just watching every day, and I don't didn't study anything, but I do believe that, um, and, and without the two-year-olds, but, but we could say, okay, without the two-year-old sales this year, I, we should have had all of those horses running, I guess, um, uh, in these two-year-old races, but we didn't have many of them early, so there weren't enough to, uh, to go around, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, just, uh, the Fazig sale is I today. I my own uh, argument. Today and tomorrow is the, the first yearling sales, uh, with the Saratoga sale having been postponed and, and right. moved to, uh, to Fazig. And I, I honestly, I haven't looked at the results um, yet today, but uh, I, I think that you're going to see, to be honest, I think it's a great time. If you want to get into business, because there's going to be a lot of good horses that are going to sell probably for less than they should, because I think that uh, we certainly see a glut of horses on the market and and a smaller number of um, buyers. So I think that the buyers are going to be more discriminating, especially with vet issues. And a lot of vet issues are, are not a problem for a normal buyer at a normal price. But you can't give nine hundred thousand for a horse with a vet issue. But um, the guys that are buying horses for fifty and seventy-five, and they might have a little vet issue because a lot of the vet issues go away and they're never an issue ever. And um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of horses for sale over the next uh, two months between OBS, between Fazig, between Keeneland, uh, and I don't know. With the economy, with the COVID, with uh, just kind of uh, the questions that we have in this business, whether we're going to see a strong market or not. And I know the stock market is a huge uh, factor in, in horse sales. It always is. When the stock market's up, um, it's, it's, uh, it's generally the sales are strong. When the stock market's down, the sales are generally not strong and i mean i I know the last two days the the stock market has not been strong at all but uh i don't know if it's it's i don't know it's kind of a good question to see and uh to kind of see how it it plays out but i I really think that uh if you're buying in that mid-range um that if people are willing to let horses go and see that was one of the issues that i had was that i would see horses that i thought were worth forty thousand every every bit of it and the guys wanted seventy five, and I said I can't give seventy five for a forty thousand dollar horse. If a guy wants three hundred for a horse, and you think he's worth two fifty, you might actually give the three hundred. But the difference between a forty and a seventy five is 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 far bigger for guys that are spending that kind of money. Uh, that's right. the difference yeah, the between running for a maiden fifty and a, and a maiden special. The horses at the yeah. upper end—they're all running in the maiden special, unless they they're, you know they get hurt or they can't run or something happens. So. That was one of the issues with the sales kept going up, 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 that the consigners and the owners of the horses weren't willing to sell a horse at uh, a break-even proposition. Yeah. yeah, if you like a horse for 250 and he goes for 280 you still like him. You're going to be right. For for 280 you're going to be wrong, you know, for the same for the same 250 So, um, yeah, the small, that's the area, you know, the wheat, Whenever we get involved, it's in that smaller area, and and you're 100 percent right. From a small guy, you're talking about double the price, and uh, and and you can't. Sometimes you you can't afford that. 
you know. Uh, it's almost like fantasy money at the sales, you know, Joe. It's like, you know, guys just kind of throw numbers out there, and and it's funny because at the racetrack, you know, everything is is exact. Um, a a, a twenty five claimer is is generally not going to beat a fifty claimer, and um, you know what I mean. The difference sometimes between eighty eight thousand claimers and fifteen claimers sometimes is a lot, and. Right. You know, guys, they're flicking their fingers at a sale and, and bidding in twenty five and fifty thousand dollar increments. You know, and and, and uh, you know, we're we're here grinding it out, praying to get a twelve five to go, and and because we know we can't win the twenty five or the twenty, and uh, it's it's just yeah. funny how how that uh, how the sales are kind of a uh, it's a little bit well, of fantasy that, land. You know, that's the difference between the known and the unknown, Chuck. Right? I mean, right. The whole business. If you think about it, the whole business of horse racing is is built on the unknown, right? It's mm-hmm. why do people spend a lot of money at sales? Because they they believe that every horse they're buying, you know, is going to achieve something. Whether it's you know a colt getting to the Derby or a filly winning a stake and then having tremendous residual value, you know, that's why I think to your point, the stock market irrespective of what it's done the last two days, it's still, you know, hovering close to all-time highs, and I think the top end of the market's going to be strong. But the middle market in in horses is dead, and it has been dead for a long time. And yeah. I don't know what brings back the middle market. I truly don't know what brings it back. And, and, part of, and part of the reason why... It's dead is, again, touching on something you had said, is that the sellers are unrealistic, right? They want 75000 for a horse that's worth forty because they see what happens at the top end of the market, and they just think that everything they have is gold, you know, in, in its own way, right? Gold has a lot of different definitions in the horse market, but... Um, and... To your point, like the difference between paying seventy five and forty is a lot more than paying two fifty and three hundred. Yeah, because no, you're just no, no running doubt. it. You're, you're presumably going to be running at a different level, right? You know, it's funny. Uh, one year, I had I was training for a guy named Jim Barry, and he gave me quite a bit of money to spend at the yearling sale. And he he had honestly he had the right outlook. He said he didn't care what kind of horse we bought. He didn't care. If um, it was Phillies or Colts or or what, and uh, um, he didn't care if it was turf or dirt, he just said, just buy me good horses, which which you know makes everything so much easier. And I, I, we bought some good horses for him. I bought a filly for ninety thousand first day of book one of Keeneland, and she just didn't have the pedigree to be in book one, which is exactly why I, I, I've looked at her, and she wound up being a great stake horse and. Luckily, her brother wound up being a horse named Master Craftsman, who wound up being your European Horse of the Year, and he wound up selling it for a million dollars at a broodmare sale. But the funny thing about that sale was that uh, we we bought a couple of our horses for a couple hundred thousand, and I kept getting outbid because I would put a value on a horse, and and it kept going over my uh, over my head, and I kept saying to myself, "Am I just undervaluing everything? Am I not you know am, am I not reading the market right or or what?" Because you can get to that point. Where you think a horse is worth two hundred thousand, and you're willing to bid up to ten, fifteen, twenty percent more than that, and they go for four, it's like, well, maybe I'm just like totally off. But uh, 
The interesting thing was uh, the horse who wound up being the best horse of the ones we bought was a horse that sold uh, a couple books later at the end of the day that we didn't vet out, that I didn't even see at the barn, that I saw in the back ring, and I got him for $20,000. That's a horse named Divine Park who wound up being a grade one winner and uh, winning the Met Mile and be the sire of Lady Eli. Uh, we bought the horse for twenty thousand, you know, and I, I, it was the bit the the reserve was nineteen, so there was no bids on the horse. It's just us, and uh, it just goes to show you that um, sometimes it, it's not all the. I mean, there's so many horses that are that are big money's paid for that you see two years later running for maiden twenty five that, that just aren't any good. And uh, it's it's uh, it's an inexact science. I mean, look at Curlin. Curlin was a horse that uh, the vet, you know, didn't really want to pass. And and uh, Doctor Begay, Max Begay, did pass him for McPeak, and he, and he wound up buying him. And I mean, you know, look look what the what, look what he's accomplished is not just as a racehorse, but uh, as a stallion. Um, I mean, he's turned out to be a, a tremendous stallion. And there's a horse I think he paid. Fifty-seven thousand or something like that for the horse, and uh, he was the problem was was vet issues, and and a lot of people passed on it, and um, you know it just goes it's a it's a very inexact science that's for sure, that's for sure, but um, but the problem with me going to horse sales is I always wind up buying a horse. And uh, yeah. well, on, on, right right now, on, I, the, uh, I I really can't afford to buy any horses. Is the purpose of going to horse sales? Yeah, it, it is. Sometimes, like, if you're going to the horse sale at Saratoga, sometimes the purpose is to get free drinks from somebody. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, – um, the sales are, are – are, I mean – if you have money to play with, it's really an intriguing market. It's an intriguing world, and you got to be – really vigilant <laughs> about who you deal with uh, i'll just leave it at that but um you know th- there's it's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of value to be found and and I, and i think that was one of the problems that the last few years that I, I was a little frustrated was that i found a lot more value 15 years ago with horses than in that middle market that don't exist now. They make it really, really difficult to find uh, that $25,000 horse that's still a pretty good horse that doesn't have some major vet issues that's not out of a mare that's had, uh, you know, 16 foals and one winner at Thistledown. So it's... Uh, well, it's a... Um, well, this, like you said, is a great time to buy that. Like, um, you know, when, when the economy is in flux, obviously, and, and you have some downturns in areas... Uh, all areas of the world in business, um, it's opportunistic time for those that have capital, you know, to take advantage of, whether it's real estate, you know, uh, you name it, right? Um, and, and in horses, it's no different. So if you got capital, this would be a good year, Chuck, for you to get back in there to be buying uh, <laughs> value. I think there's going to be that. Uh, well, I, 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 pl- I played some Powerball tickets the other day. I had two numbers, so my capital is still a little bit on the shy side. <laughs> But um, uh, that's that's you know that that seems to be like my only hope for life is to hit Powerball. But um, Anthony, tell yes. what was the name of the filly that we had that we bought that you bought uh, by Gentleman? Lovely Sage. Lovely Sage. 
You know, there's a great story about Lovely Sage in that she had she was out of who she she had Hallery something, right? Um Yeah, she was out of the Hallery family. Yeah, yeah. I mean she had a really nice pedigree. She was by gentlemen. It was first crop of gentlemen, and at the time we didn't know that gentleman was going to be an atrocious stallion. No, he was, I mean, a, he, he, he was actually a great back then, he was being billed as like the next coming, right? He 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 was he was a really really good racehorse. He was Richard Mandela trainer, but he just he, uh, he he ran in everything. He was one of those South American horses that just could do anything. He could run in the dirt. He could run in the turf. He could run in the mud, and, and he he was a really really good horse. But um, we had her down at the fairgrounds, and back then they used to make us run in training races. And I remember I had to go to a doctor's appointment with my wife, and I had horses at the fairgrounds and at Gulfstream. And the doctors back then were, like, insane about phones. Like, you couldn't turn a phone on in a doctor's office. They, like, freaked out about it. And I had her in, in, a, uh, in a training race at uh, the fairgrounds, and I, had, I put my exercise rider, my assistant, Scott Cole. And Scott was a strong boy. I mean, he, he was – Scott's about – he was about 140, and, and he was like uh, like that wiry, strong guys, you know. Like they look skinny, but they're really, you know, like you grab, they grab your hand, and, and it's like, wow. And I didn't want to jock on the horse because we didn't want to show too much because we knew the horse could run, and we figured, you know, this horse is going to be a horse we can bet on first time out. So we go into training race, and I said, Scott, just get around there, get her some experience, a little dirt in her face, and then, you know, just let her let her gallop out good, but don't don't like you know. So I go in the doctor's office. I turn my phone off. The race goes off, and, and unbeknownst well, give, to before, me, before you talk about the race, give a little bit more context. It's the last training race to ever be held at the fairgrounds. Was it actually the last one? Really. It was the last one of the year, and it was the last one to ever be held at the fairgrounds. Yeah, they there changed the rule the right the ne- for the next the next year. So right, right, right. so. I get out of the the doctor's appointment and I'm dying to figure you know find out how she did. So I turn my phone on, and and the thing starts going crazy. I got messages from every jock agent in, in the state of Louisiana. I I, I, I I started listening to them. Lenny Pike, Chuck, Alvarado wants to ride that one. Then uh, uh, Fred Amy calls me. He had uh, I think he had Sellers, Chuck. Do we ride that one? I, I, I mean, every agent in, in, in called me. So I'm like, what happened? I call Scott. I said, Scott, what happened? And he's like, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, what happened? I don't know what happened. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. You know, like, it, it wasn't like now where things would be up on, uh, uh, on, on social media in like five minutes later. So he's like, Chuck, she broke so fast. And, and my, the rain slipped a little bit, and she got away from me. I said, how far did you win by? He goes, I couldn't hear him at the wire behind me. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God. So so she comes out of the race, and we treated it like a race because she had won. You know, she had she'd run so fast and so far. And there's a race on the day after Christmas at the fairgrounds. And we put her in the race. And... Of course, we're, we're thinking that she's going to be the favorite. We go in the race, and Tom Amos has a horse that he had gotten, I think, from Pat Byrne, that had finished second in a maiden special at, uh, I believe it was Aqueduct. 
in New York. Holy, holy Bull Philly called a whole lot of bull. Yeah, and she had run second, right, in New York or Belmont or Aqua in, in a really highly rated race. So she's the favorite. We're not even the favorite in the race. I think we went off, what did we go, five to one? No, no, we went off higher than that. Yeah, we, we paid twenty. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like it, 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 we, we almost got over the one, maybe. So she breaks. I, I fly from Florida to to the fairgrounds for the race, and she comes out of there, and Shane Sellers is riding her, and she breaks slow. <laughs> And it was it was honestly it was kind of like the Mott Philly that was in yesterday in New York that was so touted the mate the the first time starter that went, went off three to five off to all the 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 big works uh, and, and she kind of broke like that where she was kind of uh, like laying six or seventh and and uh, he never panicked and he moved her up and he kind of like weaved his way rail. through yep he came up the inside he weaved his way through he he didn't just throw the reins at her. And he got to the top of the stretch, and you know the fairground is so long that stretch. And he right. angled her out, and, and she just ran. She just ran by them, and, and she, she won pretty easily. And um, the best thing is, uh, unbeknownst to me, Anthony had put her in the uh, the Keeneland sale, <laughs> the January sale, which was about what two weeks afterwards. Well, if you remember, like. We we kind of knew she could run, but prior to that, like when you had to actually enter those horses in sales a few months earlier, we were we were thinking she, you know, maybe wouldn't make the races for some reason or another, and it was kind of like a it was almost like a bailout at the th- we you know she hadn't come around yet, and yeah, so she was entered in the January sale just by you know just by chance we had just put her in there. Yeah, and, um, and she brought. But, I mean, the she brought what? The what she bring? Was, it was the day after Christmas, as you pointed out, and you know, it's it's a good thing my you know my parents had given me some money on the Christmas tree that year because I get to bet out on. <laughs> and, and and Tom Amos wound up buying her. Yeah, Roger Davenport bought her. Right, and it was like what one hundred seventy five thousand something like that. Two sixty. Two sixty. Yeah, it was. It was uh, two sixty, and we weren't in the back of the ring like everybody else usually is, raising our own <laughs> hand. Otherwise, we probably Mister Davenport had just come off winning the Breeze Cup with Unbridled Delaney the year yeah, before, that, I think, that, right? Yeah, that that. So he that probably would have gone to like four or five hundred on her, but and she she wound up. Uh, she was to your point. She was out of speak Hallery. I think she was a full to like two Grade One stake horses. The dam. The dam was, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, the, the, the broodmare side was right. pretty strong. Halo, verbatim, and, and you know. She just, wound up, what, She did she run, um, she ran third in the stake at Churchill? She won a other then in her next start, first start for Mr. Davenport, and then she ran, she ran in the fairgrounds Oaks, and I think got hurt. And then she came back, and she ran in the fairgrounds Oaks, I think got hurt, went on the sidelines, and then came back and ran, like, second or third in a, in a stake race in the spring. She was yeah. a talented horse. She was, yeah. a little, she was a little offset um, in one, of the, one side. I can't remember, but... Right front. That's where right she front. had her issues. Yeah, she was, she was talented, though. Yeah, that was... Uh... It's so funny, we though, paid because... We 50 you know, you... for her. We gave 50 for her. She, we bought her off of... Uh, Scanlon, Bobby Scanlon. You know, you, you you get these first year stallions, and and you just don't know. I mean, look at Daredevil, 
right? I mean, as a two-year-old, they didn't do much running, and, and now here we are um, a year later, and, and they're winning classic races, and the horse yeah. is already, he's already been sold off to, to Turkey. Uh, Sid Fernando was writing this today. That he wrote something on Twitter about most of the horses that have been sold away and then brought back have not had a whole lot of success. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know if someone's going to try to bring her back here or bring him back here or not. But uh, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, I, I remember a horse Leo Castelli was sold to Turkey. And as soon as he was sold to Turkey, like he had like two graded winners like the next month. And, and everybody was like, oh, I can't believe they sold that horse. And then, of course, you know, nothing else ran. Um, what was that horse that Asmussen trained that had the huge first year posse? Remember Posse? Didn't he have a great two-year-old year where he, he had like 15 stake winners or some insane number of, of, of winners? And then like the next year he had like two. And then kind of just yeah. faded away. Wasn't it a Mind Your Biscuits from Posse or no? I, I think so. The great Chad Summers. The great, yeah. You know, you have to have yeah. the skill of a Chad Summers to get that kind of run out of a, out of a horse like that. Yeah. You know, Chad Summers knows how to cut hair. That's like the one fact I've found out this year. That well, yeah, that's obvious. That that's obvious. Believe me, he he's got he's like a short Dale Romans right now. But the fact that he can cut hair, and that there's actually women and girls that let him do it, is, is amazing to me. That's that's that is actual a true fact, and I can't. I, I mean, it's almost unfathomable. They gotta be. They got to be smoking some stuff that alters their ego, alters their uh, brain before they let him cut their hair. Joe, would you let him cut your hair? I wouldn't let him come near anything in my me or my family, my pet with a with a uh, with the scissors. Look at his hair. <laughs> exactly. Right. I guess it'd be hard that to was, cut that, your own hair. That's a rule, right? That's a rule. Like when you go to a you go to a salon, you go to a barber or stylist. If their hair is like, you know, needs if they're a woman and need like a they have a real bad dye job and they have a real frizzy, nasty looking hair, you do want them touching your hair, you know? I, I, I don't know. I, I go in a barber shop and those guys they give me the side eye. You know, they they don't like people like me because uh, I, I can I, I do damage to their to their uh, their bottom line. And are we allowed to get haircuts yet? I mean, is that is that a thing now? Or, or, or I mean, I, I don't know because you know, obviously. Well. Not in not in California, but that didn't seem to bother Miss Mrs. Pelosi. Ew! No, 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 no politics. But I don't want to. I don't want to get off on a tangent on politics. Let's stick no, with horses. No, no politics. So we all saw Dale Romans win his his uh, what was it like twenty seventh consecutive year of winning a race at Saratoga. I'm sure everybody saw the clip of him in the winner's circle with the beard and the and the big stogie and the whole bit. But I will say he wasn't particularly well-groomed for that appearance in the winter circle. But Chad must have done a number on him because when he showed up Derby Day with his winner, he, he looked, I mean, he still looked disheveled, don't get me wrong. You know, his shirt was hanging out and among other things. But, like, I think he looked better. He, he looked better groomed. Well, I mean, that that's his hometown, so he probably has a, a barber down there and... 
He he did. He looked kind of like a, an overweight Robinson Caruso. At, at you, don't, the, you don't think you don't think Chad gave him a twenty seven dollar clipping? Chad, Chad actually does. He's not. A, he's an amateur haircut. He, he does it for for free. He doesn't actually charge. <laughs> well, maybe that explains it. You know, this is the kind of information you get from from going in circles. You don't get this from these other podcasts where guys are just trying to handicap races and stuff. No, you get how many? You get in picks where they hand out. You know, there's four horses in a race, four Chad Brown horses in a race, and they give they give twenty five percent of the crowd a different Chad Brown horse, knowing they're gonna keep. A quarter. Uh, <laughs> That's like those those uh, those old. Uh, what was that movie that had uh, was Al Pacino and and uh, the the guy uh, the, the Matthew McConaughey the, the where, where there yeah. was a tout service where where, where oh, the guy yeah. the guy broke the rules and actually was 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 trying to handicap the, the the games instead of just giving half the people one side and half the people the other side. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, right? They give them half one side, half the other, figure half of them are going to call back. Yeah, exactly. You're guaranteed 50% winners. How many people in the world know that we had a racehorse named after you and I, Chuck, and it was a filly named after two guys? Simon and Diamond. Yeah, I think I got top billing. I think I was Diamond and Simon. Was it Diamond and Simon? You know what we should do? They should breed her, and we should name the foal Simon and Diamond. There you go. Well, but there's Rich, who owned, Rich Sheridan, who owned that horse. He bred the horse win yesterday at Parks Capital Q in a, in a you know inflated allowance PA day. And I literally, you know, as you know, Rich, he's one of the greatest humans on the face of the earth. He is about five ten, coming close to three hundred. Although he did tell me today he lost eleven pounds in uh, three weeks. But I thought I was. He must have had a haircut. Yes. I thought I was about to revise him in, in front of the winner, sir. He's hyperventilating when she hits the wire. There is nothing there, in this game. There's, there's nothing literally better. nothing better in racing than watching Rich Chardon when he's got a horse running. He, he literally will run down the stretch with the horses. And sometimes he's beating his own horses. And he'll, 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 he'll stick. He'll use the form, uh, uh, you know, to, to whip himself. And... Every win is like he won the the arc. I mean, he's like oh, the most enthusiastic. Like it just is. Uh, I'm sitting here right it's, now it's, with it's my circle picture that we were outside the winner's circle for because they only let two people in the winner's circle yesterday. But today I was there for the first couple of races and they had about nine in the winner's circle. So I guess it's who's in charge that day. But so there's about fifteen of us outside their winner's circle, and he gets a picture for. Everyone, no matter, he brings people in, fans, anybody who's rooting for him. Get in the winter, sir. Get in the winter. And he, hold on, I'm going to get you a, pic, a picture. And he gets, I mean, he must, uh, that's the best customer of the uh, of the racetrack, uh, any racetrack. He must, got to spend 20 grand a year on winter, sir. Hey, th- that, that is the yeah. one benefit of the micro share thing, the My Racehorse thing. Can you imagine yeah. who, the, the two biggest, yeah, the two biggest winners? Out of that were Baffert and 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 the 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 guy who does the photo finishes at or does the win pictures at Churchill Downs. Because can you imagine how many win pictures they're going to sell? I mean, it's it's they got to sell a thousand of them, right? There has to be a thousand of them. Well, there's forty five hundred shares sold, but some people bought more than one share. I don't know why, but they did. But um, right. So, but that's of their of their. 
piece of the pie. So let's say my racehorse owns 20 or 30 percent. They're selling 4,500 shares within that 30 percent of the horse. Is that, is that correct? I don't know. It's 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 confusing to me, and it's just I just don't want to think that hard. It's just uh, what I, it is what it is. But uh, I'll tell you what: the big loser out of the the race wasn't just his law. The big loser is the Stronic Group, because the Preakness. I mean, yeah, it's going to be authentic in thousand words. Hopefully, they got a saddle on them this time, and Art Collector will probably be there. But. It's mm-hmm. it's just gonna be lost. Uh, the Preakness uh, in its normal place in the third weekend, the third Saturday in May. There's really not a whole lot in racing going on during that period, right. and, and and they have the spotlight, you know, the the whole spotlight. But when you look at, at the October third lineup, uh, Keeneland has a great card of racing. New York has a great card of racing. I think uh, California. They think they have they have some of the Breeders' Cup preps. So. Um, it's gonna be. Uh, I, I don't know what's. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I really don't. Chuck, I, there's some news hitting the wire right now on social media that um, Chad's entering two graded stake turf fillies, so everybody's scratching the Preakness. <laughs> but you know, there's another good story about the Preakness with a horse of yours. One year, you tell me, you call me up and you say, "Enter in." Uh, they had Pre- some presumed. Yeah, presumed innocent off the layoff in the Gallaret. In the Gallaret, right? The undercard, and I'm like, well, we're not running in there. And you're yeah, like, we can't run in there. Yeah. he's said, like, no, I don't no. want to run in there. I just want to get a table <laughs> because if you're in the graded stakes, you can get a table, right. and you don't have to scratch until later, right? Right. So, all right. So I enter in the race, and I said, you know, it costs money to run. You know, and enter the race. Well, that's fine. You know, blah blah blah. So he calls up. We enter in the race. The horse is in the race. So. About 9 o'clock in the morning, the filly is at Churchill Downs, and I'm at Churchill Downs. I get a phone call from Randy Moss, uh, the, the, the racing guy, not the receiver. And he says to me, Chuck, how's your filly doing? I want to make her the Budweiser long shot today. <laughs> and I said, well, Randy, I, I got bad news. Um I'm in Louisville, and uh, I'm standing right outside of her stall, and she's in it. <laughs> so uh, uh, now I'm kind of thinking, shit, maybe we should have run, but uh, she, she, you're going to have to look for a different Budweiser long shot for this race. Well, you remember we're why not we in. made her the Budweiser long shot, because we had, um, we had run her the year before in the Eatontown at uh, Mammoth, and... Um, which happened to be Haskell, you know, they ran all those races on Haskell Day back then. And uh, Lafitte Pinkai rode her, if yes. you remember. And we were on the lead every step of the way until about 10 yards yep. before the wire. We, we ended up running third. And, um, you know, so she proved that, you know, she could run. I don't think the ga- I think the Gallaret's a grade three, right? I don't think it's a grade. It wasn't a grade one or a grade No, two, it was so. a grade three. I, I, I remember after that race, Lafitte Pinkai came to me and shook my hand and says, Gee, I, I really want to thank you for, for giving me this mount. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're Lafitte Pinkai. You should right. never thank me for anything. I, I thank you for even considering riding my horse. Like, you know, I didn't say it, but I was thinking to myself, man, I remember when I was a little kid watching you ride. You, yeah, know? you, you still ride you, good. But do you remember you shared that story with me, like, later on Later on in the day? I think we were upstairs in one of the rooms at Mammoth. Yeah. Um, I, had a big, I had a big luncheon, and we had my whole family there, and we had a bunch of friends and everything, and you shared that story with me. And then, and then, and then me being the ever-unthankful owner, 
I was wondering why Lafitte went twenty-two and four for the first quarter because if he went twenty-three and four, we would have won. <laughs> I have one. I have one jockey bobblehead. One. Lafitte Pinkai. That's the only one I. Ha- that's the only one I have. And probably probably the only one I ever have. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Um, Whatever happened? The bobbleheads are like they're not in right anymore. No, no one does bobbleheads. Are bobbleheads like out? It's we don't do bobbleheads. Like tracks don't. When's the last time they give out a bobblehead? Uh, or did they run out of people to give? They probably ran out of people. Although I think they should give out an Andy Sterling bobblehead. I'm not going to say anything bad about Andy today because it's... No, no, I, I, I'm not saying anything bad about Andy Serling. I just, I, I mean, he's been burying he's been burying his faithful, loyal followers, of which I can admit I'm not one, all meet at Saratoga. And then yesterday he literally gave out a $96 pick six ticket where he was alive to five in the last race. <laughs> And he lost. I know. He talked about that before. I said, "Man, that it <laughs> was not. That was a brutal. That was a brutal beat. Getting finishing second, third, fourth, second, fifth. third, and fourth. Yeah. I think, right? Uh, Tommy yeah. Tommy Bush's horse got a perfect trip. I mean, perfect a dream trip. perfect can't trip. Can't scare the lead. Actually, and you it's, know, uh, just, it's set up perfect for him. It just it just did. I kind of felt bad for him. Uh, they, they either got to give out. They got, either got to give out a Sterling bobblehead or. They got to give it a Kinchin bobblehead because the shirts that he wears on the bobblehead would be awesome with the beard. That that's it. That's the one, John. That's it. No, no chalk eating bobbleheads. The shirts that funny, hair, you know, listen. You know what they need to do? To, they need to have a Chad Summers to, bobblehead. Just getting off the bobblehead for a second. Getting back to to the class of wow. the feet pink eye. So so here's a. Same horse, two different jockeys, right? So Lafitte Pinkai gets off of Presumed Innocent in the grade three Eaton Town where he finishes third, and we had called him because he was there to ride, I guess, in the hospital, right, if you recall? Mm-hmm. And we had asked him to ride that filly. He gets off, and he thanks you for the mount. We had run Presumed Innocent, I think, right before you started training her at the Meadowlands, and she was a pretty... Um, versatile filly early in her career. In other words, she won going two turns on the turf, but she ended up being a really good sprinter as well, if you recall. Mm-hmm. And um, I could have either run her uh, five or five and a half in a in a in a race at the Meadowlands, or there was like a mile and a three eight stake race, and we had never run her that far. So anyway, we, we decided to go in the long stake race, and we got Jerry Bailey to ride her. And we told Bailey in the paddock, who had never been on her, you know, the filly's going to be on the lead. So, you know, don't let her run. If, you know, if you let her run off with you, she's never going to get the distance. But if you're, you know. So anyway, she goes to the lead. He opens up like five. And, you know, at the 16th pole, she's collared. And she ends up running like fifth or sixth or whatever. And the point of the story is when he got back to the paddock, Back to the paddock. He turned to he turned to me, and I think Gary Contessa might have been the trainer listed at the time. And he turned to Gary and he said, "Don't ever put me on a filly that can't get the distance ever again." <laughs> Jer- Jer- Jerry was, if anything, Jerry, Jerry was very blunt. I have a lot of good Jerry Barry stories, but we are about out of time. And I do want to appreciate you guys calling in and uh, talking about. Uh, 
various topics, including what the the frozen goat. What's the name of that place? The drunken goat. Smoking goat. The smoking no, goat. I wrote it down. The smoking goat. I'm gonna get when I get there. I'm gonna. If we, if we ever get if we're ever allowed to leave the country again, when we go to England. Right. We might. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll have a big uh, a big powwow over at the smoking goat. All right. Well, you guys take care. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank pleasure. You. Thank you. See you. Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, when you come down, make sure you come over to the studio. Oh. Oh, you got to see yeah, my I'll man Casey. He's all he's all decked no, out here. Be, I will. We'll, we'll get a commercial going, and um, you know that we can just run and. Yeah, and I will definitely be there in a few weeks, and I thank you. And anyone uh, can get a hold of me directly if they want to uh, have any questions, they want to know where, where the best place to, to purchase it is for them. They can just, you know, just shoot me an email at my full name, Joseph Volante, at Gmail. Um, we'll put something up, on, I guess, on the site or whatever. Yeah, we're going to put stuff on the site. And, and if you email me at goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com, I will forward yep. anybody that's interested uh, your information to Joe, and he, he will get a hold of you. And if anyone awesome. has any questions yeah. or ideas for topics or, or anything, really, just contact us at uh, goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear people's uh people's takes and uh we'll do these shows these call-in shows every once in a while and 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 just uh you know it, i'm interested to hear what people have to say because uh there's not a whole lot of outlets and uh you know you're on twitter you got 144 um digits or whatever they call it so but uh thank you for for everyone that called in today and uh thank you joe and uh my pleasure chuck repeat thank you to casey for uh Thank you, Casey. We'll uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely uh, talk to you soon, my brother. All right. See you later. Take care. And that's uh, that's a wrap for Going in Circles Live. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday. We have Going in Circles, the Big Monday Show next Monday, and last night's show will be out tonight. I will get that out. Thank you and uh, good night. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman. Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast.